Maybe I should walk slowly so you can find it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll finish before you've got it. <laughs> okay, so we're reading from 1 John, chapter 4, just for the first six verses. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Thanks, Sue. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you on this uh, rather cool morning. Uh, these heaters are uh, confusing. The last week we were roasting, this week uh, I'm not sure that they're working, but um, just, you just got to come prepared for all seasons, right? Um, Spiro, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Where are you? I can't tell. Yeah. Um, it's uh, great to, to hear from uh, our, the, the work of Compassion and, uh, and our partnership together uh, with churches, uh, particularly in Philipp the Philippines. I just want to um, add to, uh, to Spiro's encouragement. Please consider how, how you can be involved in that. And uh, thank you for the encouragement to keep, to keep going. And uh, what a great opportunity we have. Uh, let's pray as we come to uh, reflect on this part of God's word. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us and we ask that you would shape us according to your word and to your will, that we would live the lives that you call us to as your children. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our current cultural context is a, uh, a strange mix of what I'll call intolerant tolerance. We're, uh, we're tolerant of, in supposedly upholding and affirming a wide diversity of opinions and beliefs and practices. We want, we want to be inclusive of anyone and everyone for them to believe and to do whatever they want. But that inclusivity must not extend to, and in fact it must exclude anyone who wants to hold to the belief that there is objective truth and who wants to hold to, to the idea that there is therefore right and there is wrong and so therefore some people are right and others are wrong. To, to claim or even to suggest that, to suggest that someone else is wrong is itself wrong and evil and must be met with the greatest condemnation and labelled as intolerant, hateful bigotry. So says our current culture. You see it in the realms of um, beliefs about human sexuality and gender. If you hold to a biblical worldview with regard to sexuality and gender, you will be labelled by many as an intolerant, hateful bigot. A label that comes with an ironic degree of hate and bigotry. Now, given this aspect of our cultural context, there can be a tendency towards just lying low, being nice and 
being reluctant to question something or to question someone or to, to say that, heaven forbid, that, that they're wrong. Our discomfort with conflict, and I mean, who likes conflict? Perhaps our fear of being the odd one out, we don't want to be the odd one out, that can keep us from, from saying and acting on what is right. Our commitment to being nice, being accepted, can trump our commitment to the truth. But would you rather be a nice liar or an uncomfortable, unpopular bearer of the truth? Now, God's word this morning calls on us to be discerning, to not just accept anything and everything that, that comes our way, but to, in fact, test things. Now, if the idea of this makes you a bit anxious because you don't like conflict, you don't like being an, an oddball, let alone saying that someone or something is wrong, I want to encourage you to try to, try to put your anxiety to one side because this call from God's word is actually a call to the truth, to freedom, to a life of, of knowing God, the one who is, who is greater than the empty ways of this world. But before we get to, the, to see the command of this passage, we need to set it in its context. Uh, the, the previous verse, the end of la, uh, last week's passage, uh, chapter 3, verse 24, says that those who are God's people have been given his spirit. Look there, 3, verse 24, it says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now, this is a profound truth. If we are God's people, if we keep his commands, and the, and the, the verse before that uh, Verse 23 unpacks that. It says, And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. There is belief in Jesus, faith, love for one another, love. Well, then, if we believe and love, God is with us, God is in us. He gives us his spirit. Now, this is a challenge to our, our Western materialistic worldview that, that asserts that this material world is, is all there is. God's word says, no, there, there is a spiritual reality and God, the Holy Spirit, is with his people. But this spiritual reality also involves other spirits, which is why discernment is called for. And this brings us to the command of this passage which has two parts you see there in verse one firstly it says do not believe every spirit so just because something or someone is spiritual it doesn't mean they should be believed I mean, if someone comes claiming some spiritual empowerment maybe even displaying supernatural power miraculous healings unexplainable knowledge these may be the work of a spirit but they're not necessarily from God. And so we ought to not believe every spirit, but rather that the second part of this command, to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, the obvious question here is, well, how? How do you test the spirits? Do you get your Ghostbusters equipment out and kind of, you know, scan for whether a spirit's good or bad or... Um, you're not sure about Ghostbusters. It was a it was a film in the, uh, 1984 that was uh, rebooted in in 2016. But um, how do you test a spirit? 
We'll get to that. But first, John gives the reason for this command. There, second half of verse 1, the reason is because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the work of these these spirits is seen in the, the words, the activities of these false prophets, these people who've gone out into the world. Uh, John spoke about them back in chapter 2 as those who went out from the, the fellowship of the church in 2 verse 19. Uh, and they were trying to, to lead John's readers astray, says 2 verse 26. And so the call here to test the spirits is a call to test these prophets, these teachers who were seeking to influence them. Just because they claim to, to have spiritual power, we're not to, to gullibly assume that they're worth listening to. So how do you test a preacher, a teacher, a prophet, and thereby, therefore, the, the spirit that they're speaking from? Uh, do you measure how passionate they are, how sincere they are? Uh, or maybe their ability to communicate, their ability to hold a crowd. Uh, maybe how perceptive about culture they are. How many books they've, they've written and sold or how big their church is. Now, of course, you hear those things and you know, well, that's, that's not how you, how you test a preacher. And yet, how often do we, do we rate a preacher using, well, pretty much exactly those things, the, their passion, their communication, their cultural awareness, their success? Here's the test, according to 1 John 4, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So the evidence of the, the work of the Spirit of God in someone is verse 2 is whether they acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, much um, scholarly ink has been spilt over this verse. Um, it's often uh, thought that this tells us that the, the false teaching that was going on in, uh, in the, the world of John's readers um, that he writes to correct was, was about them denying the, the incarnation, the, denying that God became a man, that he came in the flesh. Uh, we know that in the, the second and third century there were uh, Docetic and Gnostic false teachers who, who saw that the, the, this physical world is evil and, and that Jesus came from outside this evil world and was not part of it. I mean, otherwise he would have been tainted by it and that he was not fully human, but just perhaps had the appearance of humanity. We know that that sort of false teaching was going around in the, the second and third century. And so it's thought that, well, John was aware of some kind of early form of that false teaching and so he writes to correct it and so in this way of thinking anyone who who questions the incarnation who doesn't acknowledge that jesus christ has has come in the flesh well they're not legit now that's certainly true if, if you deny the, the the full humanity of christ that is that is not what the bible teaches but i'm not con convinced that that's what this verse here is talking about i think there's a a, a better and more likely explanation. It's, it's not something I'd go to the stake over. Um, but uh, Matthew Jensen's PhD entitled Affirming the Resurrection of the Incarnate Christ. Um, if you just happen to come across it next week, you can pick it up. And Actually, I've got a copy if you're really interested. But he, he argues, and I think persuasively, that, that this is not so much talking about 
Jesus' incarnation, whether he was fully human or not. But this is talking about his identity as the Christ, as evidenced by his resurrection coming in the flesh. And so the acknowledging or the the confessing by the the spirit-enabled prophet is, it's the confession that Jesus, as Christ, has come in the flesh, that Jesus is is the Christ. His his identity as the Christ is the key test. Uh, The proof of of this is his resurrection, here described as his coming in the flesh. Now this fits um, in a number of ways. It fits with the test back in 2 verse 22. Um, 2 verse 22 says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. It fits with uh, the beginning of 1 John, Um, where John's talking about having heard and seen and looked at and our hands have touched the word of life, the Lord Jesus, which I think is a good argument to say this is talking about hearing, seeing, touching the resurrected Jesus. It fits with John's account of the resurrection in his gospel where John describes Jesus appearing to his disciples as he came, Jesus came. The coming of Jesus, the same word that's used here, is is a particular way that John speaks of of Jesus' resurrection appearances. And it fits with other parts of the scriptures which talk about the the resurrection of Jesus as evidence or proof that Jesus is the Christ. So Romans 1 verse 4 uh, says, And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, the, the King, the Christ, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a, there's a strong argument, I think, to say that this is speaking of Jesus' identity as Christ, as evidenced by his resurrection coming in the flesh. But either way, whether these false prophets are denying Jesus' incarnation or denying his identity as the Christ, either way, and this is the key point if I've kind of lost you, they're getting Jesus wrong. And, and that's evidence that the Spirit of God is not in them that the spirit in them is not from God the key point the key sign and evidence of the work of the spirit of God is that someone can see Jesus for who he is that Jesus is the resurrected incarnate Christ Uh, another passage 1 Corinthians 12 3 says this even more plainly it says therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The most miraculous work of the Spirit of God is not to enable someone to speak in some strange tongue. It's not to heal someone of some physical ailment. The most miraculous work of the Spirit of God is to enable someone like you and me to know and to acknowledge, to confess that, that Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the King. I mean, of course, anyone can say those words, Jesus is Lord. But to say that from, from a heart that believes, that, that trusts, that is nothing short of a work of the Spirit of God in someone's heart and mind. To, to cut through the layers of, of self-deceit, of self-centeredness, to, to open the eyes that have been blinded, by the evil one. That's how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Now, this has a number of 
implications, which we'll, we'll come back to shortly. But first notice the result of this, this testing, this discernment. And this is, uh, I think this is helpfully confronting, uh, but it's also ultimately reassuring. Look there at verse 4. He says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That is, you have overcome these false prophets who've gone out from you because the one in you, namely the Spirit of God, is greater than the one who is in the world, the Spirit of the Antichrist, the evil one. Now what's confronting about this is, well, it tells us that we're necessarily caught up in a conflict, in opposition. This world opposes God. And if we are born of God by His Spirit, if we are from God, then the world will oppose us. As we saw last week in 3 verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, if you don't like conflict, then I mean, who does? If you don't like being different, this might be a challenge. This, this may be confronting. But if we're craving acceptance by the world, well, we're, we're well on the way to siding with the wrong team. Which spirit are we embracing there? Are we embracing the spirit that points to Christ or the spirit of, of Antichrist? Because they're in opposition. Notice the circularity of, of the world in, in verse 5. It says, they, that is, these prophets, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. They've left the fellowship of God's people. They've gone out into the world. They're from the world and they speak from the world and the world wants to hear what they have to say. It's a circularity. But in contrast, God speaks into this circular self-affirming world. He speaks through John and through his apostles as they witness to his son Jesus. Verse 6 continues, we are from God. John says we're not from the world like these false teachers. We're the true teachers of God. And whoever knows God listens to us because whoever is not from God, sorry, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. If you're of the world, you'll listen to the world. If you're of God, you'll listen to him as he speaks by the spirit-enabled words of his apostles, which we now have in the Bible. Now, doing this, listening to God, that will necessarily bring us into conflict with this world. But notice the immense comfort in these verses. Back in verse 4, it says, The one who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than the one who is in the world. If you're listening to God, as by his spirit he, he points us to Jesus as the Christ, then the spirit of God is, is with us and he is greater than any false spirits in the world. So praise God that he is with us, that he is in us. Now what does this all mean for us? Well, I actually have quite a bit to say by way of implication. So um, yeah, if you're drifting, settle in, wriggle your toes, wake up. Um, firstly, and most importantly, what this means is that the heart of true spirituality comes down to how you respond to Jesus. Now, that may seem obvious. 
But it's, it's beautifully simple and profound. Do you, do I, confess Jesus as, as Christ coming in the flesh? Do we exhibit that profound work of the Spirit of God such that we acknowledge and relate to Jesus as Christ, as King, that, that we trust him as our Christ, our King, our Lord? If so, to use John's words, you, dear children, are from God and you have the Spirit of God. So we need, we need first and foremost to, to attend to our, our own confession of Jesus. I want to say whether that's a, a new idea to you or, or whether that's something you've been doing for, for decades, trusting Jesus as Christ, we must continue to acknowledge, to confess, to trust Jesus as Lord, as King in our hearts, in our lives, in our words, in our actions. But this means we also need to be discerning of others. Beware of, of any so-called spiritual teaching that, that tries to drive a wedge between Jesus and his spirit. As if, you know, well, what, what Jesus did, what he did for us back then in the past is one thing, but, but now we need to, to move on to, to this new thing that the, that the spirit is doing today. Now, the, the work of the spirit is, is not to point people to himself and to his own new thing is... The work of the Spirit is always to point people to Jesus, to enable them to, to see who he is. So we must be discerning. Don't believe every so-called spiritual teacher, preacher, prophet, but test them to see whether they confess the true Jesus as the Christ, the one who has died for our sins and risen to new life. And what does that mean? How do you do that? Well, look, to give you some concrete examples, uh, ways of, to exercise, areas to exercise this, this sort of discernment, uh, be discerning in the, when it comes to Christian books. Many books are written uh, who are claiming to be, to be Christian but actually teach a humanism, a triumphalism, a mysticism a, and that actually gets Jesus and his gospel, gets God, gets us wrong. Don't just follow the fads of the latest Christian books because they're popular. Being popular doesn't make it, doesn't make it wrong, but it doesn't mean there's lots of popular books that are good, but it doesn't make them right just because they're popular. Now, that, that can be difficult, right? There's so many books, the great sea of Christian books. How do you know what's good, what's bad? If you want, I suppose, a, a concrete tip for discerning which books are good and which aren't, and perhaps I'll be criticised for this, so don't shop at Kurong Bookshop. Why? Well, because they, from what I can see, don't exercise discernment about what they stock. They'll, they will supply the good and they'll supply the bad and they'll just leave it to the, the consumer to sift through and to, to, to work it out, which you can do. But as far as possible, I try not to support Kurong because of their lack of discernment in what they sell. Uh, I'd encourage you to to look at other booksellers like Reformers Bookshop, Matthias Media, because they strive to, to not sell books that promote, promote false spirituality. Another area where discernment is needed is in podcasts or YouTube or online preachers that we listen to. Just because a preacher is popular or engaging or successful doesn't mean they're right. 
exercise discernment in what you listen to. Check out that, that what they're teaching actually aligns with what God has told us about Jesus in the Bible. Likewise, in the songs that we sing, the sermon is needed. And you might have, might have noticed, we, um, we don't sing Hillsong or Bethel songs at our church. Now, it's not because every single song they've produced is heretical, and I know some churches will, will kind of you know, pick songs where the words are okay and, and they'll, they'll use those, but we don't use any of their songs because we don't want to give tacit approval or actually financial support through royalties to an organisation that promotes a false gospel. You might, you might say, oh, hang on, John. I mean, Hillsong confesses Jesus. And you might know, I expect that some of you would know, Jesus-loving Christians who are members of Hillsong. Perhaps you have been yourself, or maybe you are and you're just here visiting today. Hillsong may promote Jesus. They do promote Jesus. But which Jesus are they promoting? Well, Jesus who saves us. Yes. But saves us from what? Sin? Well, yes. But what exactly is the, the sinful state that Jesus saves us from? I mean, we might say, well, he saves us from being enslaved to our sinful desires in rebellion against God, our Creator, such that we're facing the danger of his just condemnation. Jesus comes and, and saves us from that condemnation by taking the punishment for our sin, dying in our place and bringing us forgiveness. That's, that's the gospel. Whereas churches such as Hillsong would, would likely give little, if any, airtime to that gospel, but would rather define the problem that Jesus saves us from as the danger of, well, of not living the life that God wants you to live, of not enjoying the, the success and blessing and prosperity that God wants to bestow upon his children. And so the solution that Jesus came comes is, is, to, is to give us the victory, the, the life, the, the spirit-filled life that boldly embraces the adventures that God has in store for you. Now, it's kind of half true, like all good lies. And if you're already a Christian, if you know the gospel, perhaps like your Jesus-loving friends who are members of Hillsong, and if you understand the biblical gospel, it's easy to insert into the gaps, to insert the gospel back in and to say, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds right. But for the poor person who doesn't have any background of understanding of the gospel of Jesus, they're left with a false gospel that doesn't address the problem of sin and judgment, that doesn't embrace the true Jesus as Christ who died for our sin and rose again. And in the end, this false gospel can can destroy the faith of people who may have a genuine desire to follow God, but when instead of encountering success and blessing and prosperity, they encounter suffering and hardship that just comes in this fallen world, they give up because they're told, well, you obviously didn't have enough faith. Worst case scenario, this kind of false teaching claims to be spiritual, but actually denies people the real Jesus, and in the end, leads them to hell we need to be discerning discerning of books discerning of podcasts discerning of songs of teachers of churches but we need to be discerning of ourselves too 
of our church, of, of our preachers. You know, if we're going to point a finger at Hillsong and Bethel, we'll refuse to sing their songs, and I think it's right that we do that. We, we inevitably need to look at the three fingers that are pointing back at ourselves. Are we exhibiting the, the Spirit of God in our single-minded confession of Jesus as Christ, as King over all in our life, such that we, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to living out His rule in, in all that we do, irrespective of, of how the world then treats us, such that, as 3.13 says, we're not surprised if the world hates us. Or maybe are we in danger of a, well, a domesticated Christianity that, that embraces the culture of our world, that seeks its acceptance over and above our singular allegiance to Christ? For example, are we, uh, are we in danger of embracing and exhibiting the worldly spirit of individualism such that we actually fail to keep the command to love one another as we saw last week, as we'll see again next week? Or is our confession of Jesus one that says, well, you don't need to take him too seriously. Just, you know, show your face at church when you have time and, and try to be a nice person. Do we confess in word and deed that Jesus is the Christ? Where are our blind spots? Where are we in danger of, of soft peddling our confession of Jesus as the Christ? the resurrected one who's, who's defeated sin and death, who calls on people now to repent and who will one day return to judge. Are there areas we're in danger of, of compromise? Maybe it's in the world's hot topic issues of sexuality and gender or of abortion, euthanasia. Do we feel the pressure to just kind of fall in line and go with the flow? Or is it in our, our attitudes to wealth and greed, where we're, we're indistinguishable from the world around us. Now, we live in this world and uh, we engage with the world and we need to show love to the people of the world whilst not loving the world. But there are many people who are from this world and who therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So let's make sure that we, as we live in this world, that we're not listening to the world in that sense that we're not being shaped by and directed by it but instead that we're listening to to god through his spirit enabled testimony to jesus in the apostolic scriptures as we do that that will bring us into conflict with others it'll make us stand out at times like an oddball but we can do that knowing that by god's grace and mercy we are born of God we have his spirit and his spirit is greater than the spirits at work in the world so let's pray that God by his spirit in us will enable us to confess with our words with our actions with our heart with our all of our lives that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh we pray with me let's pray that now our heavenly father we do thank and praise you for your love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has come in the flesh, that he has died and risen again to bring us salvation from our sin. Our Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would so work in us 
that we would confess with our words, our actions, our hearts, our lives, that Jesus is the Christ. We pray that you'd give us discernment. We pray that we would not be fearful of standing out, fearful of conflict, but that we would uphold what is right and true and that we would truly love in that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.